I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 40. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today. Nick Lequier is a mortgage broker with Mortgage Wellness Group. He's based out of Barrie, Ontario, but has brokers all over Ontario. He's been a broker for seven years, was named one of CMP's Young Guns, and is also last year was a top 12 mortgage broker with CMP's top mortgage brokers. Nick, are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. Awesome. So could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. I, uh, so I've been in the business for seven years, uh, five of which have been with my own brokerage, the Mortgage Wellness Group. Prior to that, I was with uh, a leading Dominion Lending Center's office, uh, just actually in this town. So I'm uh, 34 years old, married happily with two small children. Um, our internal office operations consist of a team of nine support staff. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, as well as a, a, an agent team that's managed by my partner. Uh, our agent base is uh, in Ontario, basically from Sarnia to Ottawa. Uh, has been as strong as, say, 46 or 48 agents. And uh, obviously, it started as one uh, five years ago when we opened the brokerage. Wow. And so how did you get into mortgage business? Because no one, when I, it says when they're a kid that when I grow up, I want to be a mortgage broker. Uh, it's usually they want to be an astronaut or, you know, something. But so how did you, what was your path to the mortgage business? Yeah, sure. So as, as a kid, I wanted to be a cop. And deep down inside, I think some, sometimes I still uh, sort of have that dream. I don't, I'm not sure why, but I identified it in, uh, in college for a few reasons. I just, um, had some role models that, I, that that I'd sort of identified that were in the business, and it was always sort of attractive to me. So, um, out of college, got an internship with Coca-Cola, and uh, was hired as an account manager, key account manager sort of idea. And uh, basically, from that position, was hired by uh, one of my customers at the time to do some franchise development. Uh, coincidentally, the person that had sort of mentored me along at Coca-Cola had left and, um, and entered the mortgage business. His, his uncle was Larry Barkley with HLC, who at one point was uh, named the top broker in Canada by CMP, I believe the first year that the list was produced. Mm-hmm. So I uh, got a lot of mentorship um, through, through that contact, Jason, and uh, still you know, one, of my, one of my best buds to this day actually works for our brokerage. So he helped sort of coach me through the process, and I had aligned myself with uh, Derek Battaglia, who had, at the time, owned a really successful uh, mortgage center franchise, now uh, converted to a very successful Dominion Lending Center franchise, and um, approached Derek. He was the leader in the uh, in the local market, and uh, and Derek Derek gave me my break. He um, he took me under his wing. Uh, very unique model. Uh, paid me a salary to help me sort of get started. Uh, helped me get set up in a small office. And uh, I mean, really, I've said this before, you know, at the, uh, the CMP Awards, I won Best Newcomer and, and thank Derek at the same time. I really, you know, owe Derek for, for a lot of what I have now. Um, he even my start and he trained me. And, uh, you know, a, a few a few years later, which was, I guess, 2009, when uh, the MBLAA came into effect and I was able to get my broker's license, you know, sort of acted upon that and, and left and started my own brokerage because it was you know, just sort of a natural progression of my growth, but uh, always very thankful for that opportunity. And so your current business, which is really set up, it's very team oriented. Um, how much of that business model did you learn from Derek or where, like, where did you learn that? Because when I noticed that most of the top producers that are kind of cracking the $100 million mark have figured out that this is a team sport, not just an individual. And so you are only doing this, you've been doing this less time than me and you figured it out. So good for you. But uh, yeah. so well, like, did you learn from him or how did you figure this out? This is this is this is interesting you know, to me. 
day by day by day by day, Scott. It's just been, um, you know, each year has sort of built on the last. So, you know, I can, I can tell you sort of each year, 2007 started in May of 2007. And, you know, uh, just learned the, you know, the, 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 the hunt and gather mentality from, from Derek for sure. But, you know, uh, also in, in the previous sales roles that I'd had. So it was contact every single person I know and make sure they're aware that I'm in the mortgage business. And in that first six months, I think we closed, uh, I closed six million in that first half year. Uh, 2008 was my first full year. And it was when I really started to align myself with key realtor partnerships. And, uh, so that first full year that I worked in the business, um, closed 20 million, which was great. Mm-hmm, that's really good. Overhead working from home, uh, just, you know, lots of hours, no kids at that time, very low expenses, obviously, you know, lots of revenue as a result. Uh, and just really found my passion for, for the business. Um, you know, right from the onset. Uh, 2009, uh, figured that I would make the inevitable move into a small office storefront. And, uh, my wife quit her job, joined me as, um, sort of administrative support phones, back office, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 2000, uh, late 2009, hired an assistant and, uh, she sort of took half of my wife's role and half of, you know, sort of a new role. So we split it into like a client centric role and a back office role. Um, one client facing, one non-client facing, essentially. So that was 09, 2010 was when I left and started the mortgage wellness group out of that same office. Uh, and that's when I brought my father on as a partner. Again, I mentioned to you, you know, strong senior corporate management experience. So it was only inevitable that he would manage our agent base. And that's been extremely successful for us as a result because, you know, he had no mortgage experience, but tons of management experience. So, you know, teaching the mortgage side of things was, was, was the easy part in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he joined me in 2010, uh, late 2010, we, uh, we made a move. We, uh, we moved from a 700 square foot office to our current office location, which is we're in an old renovated, uh, converted church, downtown Barrie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, went from 700 square feet to like 4,000 square feet, 15 offices sort of thing. And um, I'm happy to say four years after moving in there that we just actually completed a major renovation that had four more offices because we were out of space. So, uh, you know, lots has happened in the meantime. And like I say, it's been year by year, deal by deal to determine, okay, well, I'm not good at submitting deals or I'm not as good as perhaps somebody else could be at submitting deals. It's time for an underwriter. Our deal flow is is such that we need two underwriters. We need one more person to manage documents, and it's just sort of grown organically from there. Um, you know, lots of support from just, I'll say, the business community. Um, I'm aligned with an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, lots of support from that community, and um, you know, a, a few coaches that have involved along the way as well. So, you know, to answer your question, and long, I guess, Scott is each year and each deal has just sort of built upon the last. So no given formula necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's sort of been, um, been a process where we've just sort of figured it out as we went and uh, we've had a lot of success as a result. Well, it sounds like your volume has gone up quickly, but your staffing went up a little bit slower as you kind of went along. And it was kind of, it was good for you to walk through that because I think there's people at different stages in their business and they're trying to figure out, okay, so the, the first person you hired, like if you're, let's say you're at the $30 million mark and you're trying to figure out, okay, I want to get to the 50 or 70, what would, what would you recommend be the first hire that you'd want to look at? So it really depends on the approach that you want to take because I've tried to figure out like a, a specific formula. 
like, does 10 million equal a new person or does 30 million equal a new person? So what I can tell you is that we've always been overstaffed. And what that's allowed us to do is make those giant leaps from, say, 30 million to 50 million, 50 million to 60 million, 60 million to 80 million, 80 million to 100 million. So constantly being overstaffed has actually been sort of the secret to our success. Um, we always plan for a rainy date, obviously. Um, you know, looking at revenue and margins um, drives, you know, like an old school business mind, like my father's just crazy because he's like, you know, we, we run it as two separate business models, but, you know, he does give me a, a lot of insight. So he's like, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're nuts. You're overstaffed. Look at your overhead. Um, but it's really what's made us successful the whole way along. And if I could give any piece of advice to anybody that's looking to grow and build that team and take on that additional overhead, it's that. It's, you know, learn to live on what you live on. So I paid myself the same salary from our business geez, since 2010. And, um, and basically, whatever's left over is, 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 you know, my bonus. I treat it like a job. It's a corporation. So mm-hmm. I live on my salary. And when we have lean years, I don't get a bonus. You know, it truthfully, it's really happened. But in our good years, we take bonuses, we take dividends, and we reap the benefits of a successful year. And it, it has also allowed us to really, really focus on not chasing volume. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we submit our numbers to the CMP list, and and that's great um, because it allows us to celebrate as a team win. Uh, we don't do it for any other reason. I mean, it, uh, there's a lot of controversy over that list, as you know. Mm-hmm. And for us. Um, you know, we're only as successful as, as the people that, that, that join us in this journey. So that, again, that team has, has grown every year. and It allows us to, to celebrate it as a win. It's one of our targets at the beginning of the year. We identify the volume that we want to attain. And um, it allows us to set goals and follow those goals. And if we hit that goal, then, you know, that win for us is, is celebrating our place on that list in Canada. It's a big win for our team. Right. That's awesome. But, yeah, it's really good. So it's, it's sort of an identifier for... You know, not just it, it, it's not just me. It's it's the whole team works towards that. But if I could give anybody any piece of advice, it's that volume is completely irrelevant, like 100% irrelevant. So, you know, I would I would urge anybody that's chasing volume, you know, have a have a 15 minute conversation with Greg Williamson about his revenue leakage model. Volume is relevant. Like, I mean, if we we say that we make one percent, but I would I would challenge anybody to take a look at the revenue. Divide it by the number of deals that they're doing and tell me what the average basis point that you're earning per deal is. I know for, for a fact that ours is low. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it, is it because we're rate discounters? No, it's because we're all things to all people and we have to be. But, you know, instead of chasing volume and trying to chase $150 million in volume, chase the revenue. Set a goal for yourself to say, you know, I want to make a million bucks in gross revenue this year. And then work it backwards to say, okay, well, that means I can't earn less than X basis point per deal on X number of deals. Mm-hmm. Our average mortgage size is Y, right? So, I mean, we did that math. We just did that math. Our average basis points per deal was 89. That's low. Mm-hmm. Very low. We had no idea. So, we would like to say, I mean, our number one lender is First National. So, you know, if we said 115 basis points on average on a deal, how do we land at 89 basis points on average per deal? How do we do it? Because that's just front door leakage, right? We're not considering backdoor leakage like appraisals, um, you know, client legal expense, anything like that. So what did you That's call what did you call that? The revenue leakage model or something you had said? Yeah. 
Yeah, so so you know, like you know, identifying um, the leakage coming in the front door, which is you know buy downs and, and everything else. So if you're only making 89 basis points per deal on the front end, you're also losing on the back end. Right. We you all got, are. We yeah. all are. And, and more, I, I don't know about anybody else, but us more than ever before. Where we paid for, say, $8,000 in appraisals last year, we paid for 30000 this year. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors that play into that. There's not a lot of GDS and ADM models in the market anymore. Mm-hmm. So appraisals are required, you know, more frequently now, more commonly, I should say. Uh, but again, my, my, you know, just my two cents on that, she's revenue. Right. Profit volume is irrelevant, and we made that mistake for a lot of years watching the revenue, watching the volume numbers, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, if, if if you're not monitoring how much profit you're achieving based on your revenue, based on the volume, um, you're just going to be chasing your tail, in my opinion. Right. I, I kind of feel like volume is like a golfer who only focuses on his drive. You know, he's like, I can drive the ball 350 yards. But when you at the end of the round, his, his score is not that great. And the net is really your score. And and the, the very, very accurate comment. So very accurate. I've been I've been kind of been reprogramming my own mind around this, too, lately. I think it's from all these conversations and interviews. But I've really been like you're saying, focusing on the net because it's the, the at the end of the day, that's how you measure a business. If you're ever going to sell it, they're going to ask about your net. They're not going to care about your, you know, gross volume. So um, th- this is, uh, yeah, but the way we celebrate it in the business, obviously, is to talk about gross volume. But I think as a business owner, we need to think about net as the, as the measure of if we're running a successful mortgage practice or not. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. So, you know, reverse engineer the numbers. Um, like I determine how much I want in my pocket. I also then determine how much, um, profit I'd like to achieve. So like the extra stuff, like I talked about dividends and bonus full items. Um, we then factor in like additional overhead that we're going to need. So inevitable hires to help grow the team. Um, and then fixed overhead expense, mm-hmm. add in some variables and then you have, you have your revenue that you need to achieve. So be really, really specific about the revenue uh, and realistic about the revenue is I guess, um, you know, the better point. So, uh, I mean, if you've historically lived on 89 basis points per deal, use 89 basis points per deal. Because mm-hmm. when I calculate it, you know, if, if the girls bring me a deal and say, you know, we're being asked to buy down the deal because we're in competition, it's a $2,400 commission at 100 basis points and a 10 basis point buy down on that X, those, those figures are inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's just something to be very mindful of. Right. No, that's good. So we, so before we get into the rest of the interview, which will I'll, I'll oh, speed it up. That's okay. No, this is awesome. Like I, what I've been trying to do lately is if I, if somebody says something valuable or interesting, like you've already been doing, I want to dive into it instead of just ignoring it. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'll modify my script a little, but I do like to ask about a success quote that's impacted your life or business. So can you share a quote that's really impacted you? Yeah, you know what? One I one I live by is um, I used to quote it as Donald Trump, but I actually when I read one of Donald Trump's books, he quoted it from somebody else who was unknown. So it's you know the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, I love that quote. So how have you applied that particular quote to your business? You know, I, I like I mean I have a family and we try and manage um, work, home, and everything else. I have an extremely supportive wife and. You know, probably one of the reasons that we've achieved the success that we have is because of the support that I've received from her. But um, I'm the first one in and the last one out, and I have been for seven years. 
And it doesn't mean I work 24 hours a day, but it, it's work ethic. Mm-hmm. And I look at anybody that I speak to in the business, and I, I, it can almost identify it now from day one with a new agent. So if the work ethic is there, if you're ready to hustle, you'll be successful. Right. But, you know, if you're not, you know, for, for seven years, I've put a shirt and tie on every single day. So when I work from home, when I work from my small office, and, and I knew nobody else was going to come into the office that day and I didn't work with anybody else, I put a suit on. Because when I was out and about and people would see me, um, they knew I meant business, they knew I was professional. And But you know what? 80% of it was for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was getting dressed in the morning and saying, let's do this. So right. if you have work ethic and you have dedication and you have hustle, you're bound to succeed. So, you know, again, for me, the harder I work, the luckier I get. It's game time, right? You get you get your uh, uniform on to go to to go play or go to work. So. Absolutely. So a- another thing that I've noticed talking to successful brokers is that there's definitely when you're willing to take risks, there's failure. But failure, there's always lessons in it. So can you share an example of something that you'd failed at, but now looking back, there was a lesson that you were, were able to take from it? Oh boy. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of business to go around in this business, and um. So a couple lessons. One, you know, every opportunity is an opportunity. And um, you just have to be mindful of that. You never know where your road is going to lead. So, um, you know, I, I've i had uh, failed relationships with, um, you know, past colleagues and that sort of thing along the way. And, you know, I, I guess one of, the, one of the things that I wish I would have done along the way is... is you know, it's it's a very competitive, sometimes predatory industry, and you just have to look beyond that because you never know what opportunity is going to lead to another. So that's the one lesson I learned. And the second was a lesson in partnership and a lesson in working with family. Mm-hmm. So you have to put everything on the table. You just have to, especially in a partnership. And before you evaluate a partnership, you have to evaluate, um, you know, what each person is bringing into a partnership, what the rules are going to be, and, you know, make sure that those rules are very clearly defined. Right. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. So another thing, and I know that you're definitely going to be no exception to this, is that successful brokers know the importance of systems and processes in order to be able to scale their business. Um, and they're also willing to adjust those uh, systems and processes to make them better. So can you share an example of administrative process that you have in your business that maybe wasn't working as well as you would like and what kind of tweak you made to it and what the outcome was? We're uh, 100% paperless. Uh, so no files on any desk. Um Everything's uploaded to a cloud system, and every single thing in our business is workflow-based. So a purchase has one set of workflows, a refinance has another set of workflows, switch has another set of workflows. So the workflow would go something like, you know, lead comes in, leads followed up with three times by phone, twice by email, um, you know, CC to the referral source. When an application is taken, it's pushed into our underwriter queue within 24 hours. The introduction email is sent out within two hours of application. Uh, the underwriting team responds within one hour of receiving the introduction email. The underwriter responds by email within 24 hours, calls within 12 hours, CCs the referral source, follows up every day during the condition on financing period. Upon approval, copies in all interested parties, passes it along to fulfillment, CCs realtor, CCs receptionist, receptionist books client in attempt one, receptionist uh, calls client to book in attempt two. Uh, on attempt three, you refer back to sales. Sales calls twice. Copies in underwriting. Copies in referral source. 
like, I mean, our, our, our purchase workflow is like 100 steps, mm-hmm. very small steps. But what it ensures is a very high-level approach where the client receives lots of communication. Um, we're very respectful of the relationship with the referral source. We keep them in the loop as well. The client never misses a beat. They receive, uh, again, very high-level uh, advice with very strong follow-up. Nothing falls through the cracks because it's all measured. Right. That's awesome. That's a very team. That's a team approach to moving a mortgage file from start to finish. And then, so uh, on the, mar- uh, I've also noticed successful brokers have sales processes. So that's like an administrative process can be a sales process. But can you share an example of a marketing or maybe a sales initiative that you had tried that maybe didn't wasn't working as well as you had liked, and then an adjustment you made? So one thing that we've identified. Um, very recently is that we take an average of 86 mortgage applications a month, um, but we only close, say, you know, 45 to 50 deals a month. Mm-hmm. So our retention on leads is like, you know, quick math, 45%, let's say. So um, we're leaving a lot on the table. And whether we can't help those people or not, um, you know, that old adage that, you know, an existing client is seven times easier to sell than a new client. Um, you know, those, those are existing clients in my mind. They, they've received a warm referral into our office or we've already spoken to them. So one thing that we're trying to execute on is existing relationships. You know, instead of making one call, three calls or five calls, and then moving on to the next new deal, um, you know, circling back to those existing leads, um, two weeks, 30 days, 45, and 60 days after they were originally you know, sort of first contacted to see if there's anything else we can do for them. And then putting in a, a, a really stringent follow-up system for clients in credit repair as well mm-hmm. uh, for additional follow-up. So, you know, I just, I, I look at the long list of people that we spoke to last year and the shorter list of people that, you know, we actually closed deals with. And, and wonder where the additional opportunity is. So we've identified that opportunity and, and just implemented a new follow-up process um, that you know hopefully will allow us to execute on more of those opportunities. Right. So you technically don't have to. You wouldn't have to increase the number of leads. You just need to con- increase the number of leads that convert to close loans. So again, that same model that I was talking about earlier, that revenue leakage model, is is you know something that's been taught to me by my coach, obviously, but. If you execute more of the applications that you take and earn more on the application on the deals that you close, how many more deals do you really need? Right. It kind of sorts itself out. Yeah, and again, that circles back to chasing revenue rather than volume. Right. That's good. That's really good advice. And so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. So um Running a busy mortgage practice like you have, how do you balance your mortgage practice and family? So I'm a family man. What what advice do you have for somebody who's trying to grow, you know, be ambitious, but also still trying to maintain that family relationship? Can the uh, can the answer be that I don't <laughs> very well? Well, you yeah, um, the honest is good. Yeah, so I have a, I have a four year old daughter, the light of my life, and uh, a 19 month old son who's also my everything. Um. And it's been a really tough two years. I don't know how many children you have, but um, two basically, you know, two almost, almost, almost broke. It's not, you know, from a marriage standpoint, just, you know, probably from a sanity standpoint. Um, and that it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to manage. So not only did I add, you know, children to my life in the last five years, child, two, child, two children, mm-hmm. uh, 
but in addition to that, um, I also lost, you know, the, I call her the puppet master in our business, which is my wife. Mm-hmm. Right? So she was, she was doing all of our back. Actually, at the time, she was doing reception, back office, bookkeeping, um, you know, uh, client marketing, you know, all of those things. So, you know, I lost all of those things when we started having children. What I gained is obviously much more than that, but, um, you know, it, 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 it's been a, it's been a really, uh, it's been a challenge. Right. And, and, um, you know, I, so I, I try and segregate family time into family time, and work time to work time. We have two evenings every week where I work evenings and I'm not happy to say that. I don't see my kids go to bed two nights a week, but what I try and do is just optimize the time that I do have with them in the morning um, to make sure that, you know, I at least see them then. So, you know, we're, we're working on ways to, to, uh, to stop that if we can, but, you know, I, um, weekend, uh, we've, we, I, what I can say is this, weekends are mine. You know, I answer emails and I take phone calls, but weekends are mine. I mean, we really... Um, take advantage of like Friday night to Sunday night mm-hmm. through and through. Like it is 100% family time. We That's go awesome. to Barry uh, uh, a couple of years ago to uh, just, just a little north of Barry near the ski hills and stuff. So, you know, lots of outdoor stuff. Um, it's a long drive home on late nights, but it's 100% worth it because like I said, on the weekends, family time. Um, mm-hmm. During the week, it's just, you know, it's a good support system. My wife is extremely supportive and, um, I don't know. It's a constant, constant game of trying to figure it out. I guess we, you know, we get home uh, when I get home at a good time. Um, you know, cell phone goes goes in the pocket. Dinner with the kids, uh, bath with the kids, put the kids to bed. And typically, while we're you know watching TV or hanging out, the laptop's open and I'm cleaning things up. Mm-hmm. You know, as a guy, I've got three kids that are uh, five, seven, and nine, and I can tell you that pre, well, before they started going to school, all of them going to school, it's just hairier. So if there's any consolation, is that once they get a little, like they're fantastic, but as they get a little older, it does get easier. So that, that, that's that's really good advice because um, you know it's it, 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 we're both young guys, Scott, and I'm I'm 34. So um, you know, do I want to exit the business? Not at all. But the way I look at it is, you know, 15 years is a long time. That'll bring me to 50. So if I can put my nose to the grind and, you know, get a lot of family time, but also make a lot of waves in this business in the next 15 years, mm-hmm. uh, I think my family's going to be set up very well for, you know, let's say those, those those later years. Right. That's awesome. So I'm going to switch to the rapid fire questions. So you can answer these with shorter answers if you like. So what is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Hustle. Hustle, that's good. And what, what one thing or habit has made you successful? Hustle. Is it, do you have an internet resource software program you use to make your business more successful? Auto. Auto? Yep. Okay. And how long have you been using it? Three years. And it, and it works for your deal flow stuff? It, it's, uh, it, it works really well? Bulletproof. Yeah. I've heard good things. Yeah. Yeah, they're very good to us. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Double double, Cameron Harold. Yeah, actually, another guy recommended that to me, and it's a good one. Really? Mm-hmm. Who else recommended it? David Ford. I, okay. Very in, cool. I interviewed him, and he had told me that that was a awesome one of his. Yeah, his so favorite Cameron books. started uh, was a partner in one hand got junk. Mm-hmm. And what he um, what he explains in the book is the painted picture. So the painted picture is envisioning yourself three years out, and then reverse engineering that painted picture to where you need to start today. Mm-hmm. Very cool. 
That's good. And so this is the last question. It's one of my favorites. It's a DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Yeah. So imagine if you could jump in the DeLorean and I could set, I would set the time to seven years ago when you first started as a mortgage broker with the idea that you can sit down and visit yourself and give yourself three pieces of advice to have a better, bigger business today. What three things would you tell yourself? So um, from our earlier conversation, revving you, not volume. Set parameters on your work week. You know, we have a, a really, really new, great agent who's just like killing it. And that was one of the pieces of advice I gave him. And if you call his cell phone, he said, I'll be returning phone He'll say, I return phone calls until 5 p.m. today. If you'd like to leave a message, I'll be sure to get back to you just as soon as possible. Keep it high level. Keep it professional. But, you know, build a fence around your personal time. Mm-hmm. That's number two, right? Yeah. Number three is just stay, stay true to that vision, man. Like you, you got to identify where you want to be and just just work towards it. And that's you know, again, not to the, not to toot my own horn, but you know, I I, I knew the, the name of my broker seven years ago. Right. So the revenue, not volume. Set some parameters around your work week in a professional way, and then the last one is just basically keep keep your vision in mind and hustle because yeah, like you said, hustle is definitely one of the key ingredients. We have it in big, like ten foot final letters on our wall. That's awesome. Well, Nick, I I have really appreciated your time in this interview. There's been tons of value. I'm sure our listeners are going to be taking lots of notes. So, where can people find you online? Uh, MortgageWellness.ca. Nick at MortgageWellness.ca. Call my office anytime. Seven zero five seven thirty ten fifty. And ten fifty. And are you guys hiring at all? Yeah, we're always hiring. Um, from an agent perspective, we have um, a little bit of a different uh, criteria than most. So um, feel free to reach out. Um, from an internal perspective, we uh, we are always looking for. Uh, we, we we try and procure individuals that are highly trained and highly skilled, highly um, uh, high knowledge of of the financial services business. So you know, our internal underwriter is uh, forty years of. Uh, credit experience. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, model for sure. That, that's good. And so, Nick, um, this has been an awesome interview. Anybody listening can go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com and check out the show notes, links to Nick, his site, and uh, what he's up to and connect with you. Nick, I hope you absolutely crush the rest of your year and thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate the opportunity, Scott. Thanks. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Beckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip, and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing, since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.